Amen. I wonder how your posture is this morning. How's your posture? This seems to have given up. Oh, there we go. Good posture at any time. It's interesting. I've just said that and I can see a number of people wriggling. (laughs) You're all thinking my posture actually isn't that great. So you start to sit up and you start to think, well, I know we should be sat at that kind of angle. There's some of you still slouching. You need to sit up straight. And I'm rounding my shoulders and I need to stand up straight. Well, posture is something we know about, don't we? You don't need to be a medic to know that there are actually good ways of sitting and bad ways of sitting. Now, about 12 years ago, um, we were in, um, down in Bristol, and I was ministering in a church down there as music director. And um, we had somebody came and assess our workstations as a staff team. And so they came and measured the height of our desks, the height of our chairs, where our computer was seat, um, sat on the desk, and then told us how bad our posture was, basically. And I was given exercises to do to improve my posture that involved lying on the floor while Claire got my leg and sort of yanked it up because I was, I was getting tight hamstrings through being sat badly. Um, we did this religiously for about two weeks. Never done it since. That was 12 years ago. I don't know what state my hamstrings are in at the moment. But thinking about posture, what about our posture when we pray? Now, we can think physically, can't we, for a moment? You know, different people pray in different ways. Different parts of the church pray in different ways. If we were Anglicans this morning, when Angela said we were going to pray, she'd have probably said, do you want to sit or kneel? Because parts of the church sit or kneel to pray. Other traditions in the church, they bow down to pray. Others follow 1 Timothy 2 verse 8 and hold up holy hands in prayer. But the outward posture only really makes any difference if the heart is linked in with it. If there is something going on deep inside. So where is our heart posture when we come to pray? How does your heart respond to your Heavenly Father this morning? Does it respond? Perhaps that's the first question we should ask. Are you actually praying at all? Are you prayerful? Are you both somebody who actively says prayers but also lives your whole life knowing that actually God is listening all the time? Whether it's through a time of prayer, a quick arrow prayer, the desires of your heart, that God is there with you. When we pray, do we come with an agenda and seek a divine rubber stamp? Or do we actually come in surrender? How do we approach God in prayer? See, it's very easy, I think, to pray and be people who just come with an agenda, isn't it? We come with our prayer lists when actually we're told something quite different by Jesus. I don't know if that's the kind of thing you come with to pray. All quite worthy things, probably. I'm not quite sure why you need to pray to lose five pounds rather than just get on with it. <laughs> but actually, you know, those other things, they're worthy. And we will go on in the Lord's Prayer to find out it's okay to ask for things. But that isn't where we start in Jesus' teaching. That is not the starting point. So this morning, we're looking at this next line of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We're not there for asking prayers, those come on, but we're at this point where we're both praying the Lord's Prayer and understanding what Jesus is saying about prayer in general. A few years back, I was um, leading an ecumenical, a Churches Together service in a particular church, not in Lem, so you won't know any of the characters involved. And I'd preached and I'd led the service, and, you know, it had gone okay, it it seemed fine. I was on the door um, shaking hands with people on the way out. And the vast majority of people do what pleasant Christians do. 
Thank you for coming. Lovely sermon. I never know what that means, but lovely sermon. Lovely that you're with us. But then this one rather officious looking man approached me. And I thought, hey, up. <laughs> what's going on here? You, you, you know the look as a preacher. That this man was offended. He had that offended look on his face. And he came up to me. And I thought, what's coming up here? What have I said that has upset him? And he said, you didn't pray the Lord's Prayer in your prayers. And he pointed at me like this. And I said, no, you're true. I didn't, I didn't pray it. But I prayed the kind of pattern of prayer. And I think what Jesus is doing is not giving us something to pray religiously, but he's giving us a pattern for prayer. But this was not good enough for this man. So he shouted at me, you Baptists. (laughs) So now I'm a representative of 40 million Baptists across the world. You Baptists are a disobedient lot. You don't pray the Lord's Prayer every time you gather. So I went home. I remember sitting, actually before that, it sort of descended into a Vicar of Dibley type scenario, where two of the members of this church I was actually in physically pushed this man out the door. I just kept walking him forward. I think they were quite embarrassed by the scene that was going on. But I remember sitting in the car on the way home and thinking, was he right? Was he right? Well, if we think we need to pray this prayer religiously and somehow that makes God happy, no, not at all. I think that's probably what he was talking about. But if he's talking about being obedient in prayer and praying according to God's agenda, not our own, and being prepared to pray the prayers of your kingdom come, your will be done, then I think there is something very clear in that. We can become very... Can you hear that now? Yeah, yeah. I can't be bothered taking this off. It's too complicated. Chris was talking last week how the the Lord's Prayer starts. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. And it's that instruction from Jesus that when we come to pray, we don't come to some unknown God. We don't come to some God that we can't access. We come to our Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know who it is we pray to. And the first call of the Lord's Prayer is to come deeply in worship. Our Father, who is holy, we come bowed low into the presence of God. And then we get your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Anyone want to have a guess how many times the phrase your kingdom come is used in the New Testament? Anyone? How many? You're one out. Well done. 149. (laughs) Not bad going at all. 149 times. The vast majority of which appear in the first three Gospels, what we call the Synoptic Gospels, where Jesus is teaching, Jesus is preaching, and it's like a constant refrain. Jesus keeps coming back to it. He talks about the kingdom of God, or interchangeably, the kingdom of heaven. Just one example, Matthew 3, verse 2. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus teaches in parables. He tells people what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says it's like a mustard seed. It's like a pearl of great price. It's like a net. It's like yeast. 
is something incredibly valuable, something that grows very, starts off very small and then grows into something absolutely huge and significant. And so this morning, as we say, well, what does that mean? We have to sort of take a step back. What would Jesus' original hearers have heard, have understood by that phrase, your kingdom come? If you want a summary of the whole teaching of what the kingdom is about, it's basically about when God rules and reigns. Where God's reign over us ultimately is complete. And so we find that Jesus, he came to announce the coming kingdom. We hear that he was crucified. He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. He was raised to glory. And we await his second coming when the kingdom that is small and in our midst at the moment will be unleashed in power and we will reign with him forever and ever. That is the final victory of the kingdom. But Jesus said it can start today. You know, the kingdom can start within us. It says in Luke 17, verse 21, nor will they say, see here or see there, for the kingdom of God is within you. But it's not yet come in all its fullness. That won't happen until Jesus returns. So we're just going to take another step back again and say, well, how do we understand the coming kingdom from the Old Testament? What would Jesus of listeners have been carrying with them as he taught them how to pray? What would they have understood? Just bear with me for a moment. Back into the Old Testament, into the book of 1 Samuel. If you know anything about Samuel, Samuel was one of the judges of Israel, one of the, the, the God-appointed rulers. He wasn't a king, he, he was a judge and a prophet, and he ruled over Israel. But he was getting quite old by 1, cha- 1 Samuel chapter 8. And the people are getting a bit unnerved. And they start to come to Samuel and say, we want a king to rule over us. We want a military figure. We want somebody who we can look at and say, they are powerful. They will look after our every need. Samuel doesn't like this. So he goes to the Lord and he seeks God in prayer. And we get the answer from the Lord in 1 Samuel verse 7, chapter 8, verse 7. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And so what we find right the way through the Old Testament is that God had always desired to be the ruler of his people. Always desired to be the people's king. Yet what happened? People request a king. One Samuel will tell us that actually God says, okay, you can have a king. And so Saul comes along. If you know anything about Saul, it doesn't really end that well. It then improves rather a lot with David, the next king, a God-appointed ruler, a man after God's own heart. But even David mucks up big time. We then get Solomon, and the kingdom of Israel grows to its greatest extent. But then he has problems with his 500 wives and concubines. And they lead him astray, and he starts to worship foreign gods. By the end of his rule and reign, the kingdom is split into Israel and Judah. The kings that follow after him, it's decline, decline, decline. There's the odd blip and it gets a bit better, but it starts to decline. The rulers, the human rulers that have sought to rule God's people are like me and you. They're broken. They can't do it. They can't rule and reign like God could. In between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, there's a family called the Maccabees. And they establish a bit of home rule for the people of Israel. 
that would have still been in the minds of Jesus's original listeners because it was just a couple of centuries before. But then the actual picture on the ground when Jesus was teaching, there were kings around. There were various Herods. They were a bit of a joke because they were puppet kings of the Romans. And they were not the greatest people. You read that in the New Testament. The real power at that time was in Rome. Caesar Augustus, who thought he was God. But actually it's God who desired to reign and rule over his people. And so as you get into the New Testament, you start to find that there are people praying for the coming of the kingdom. A man called Simeon, who's in the temple when Jesus is being dedicated, he's there and it says about him, he was longing for the consolation of Israel, for the coming of the Messiah, for the rule and reign of God. People were looking back into the Old Testament prophecies. This one from Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. People longing for God to rule and reign. You find it in Malachi. We saw it in Micah before Christmas. So all this is going on in people's minds as Jesus teaches them. They're thinking about messianic hope, the hope of the coming kingdom. They're thinking about God's eternal reign that will one day come about when God is all in all. They're thinking about the failure of human kings. That's what's going on in the minds of the people in Jesus' day. What about us when we pray that prayer? Are we longing to see God's kingdom come in our life? To see glimpses of it breaking out in our church, in our communities? And are we praying that final prayer of revelation? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We long for the day when God's eternal rule and reign is forever and ever. For today... Though we see it. We see glimpses of the kingdom. It was great hearing what what Victoria was sharing about. That's a a glimpse of the coming kingdom, what's going on in Gorton. It's a glimpse of the coming kingdom, what is happening in Alpha. It's a glimpse of the coming kingdom when, in our own lives, we surrender to Jesus in a fresh way. When the powers of darkness flee at the name of Jesus. When the broken are made whole. When we get a passion for social justice and for the poor when we see the sick healed, where we see the brokenhearted mended, when we see those in the kingdom of darkness come into the kingdom of light and find themselves gloriously forgiven because of the cross of Calvary. This is all evidence of God's kingdom. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. And he said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So what does it mean for us? What does it mean to pray, your kingdom come? Well, I'm going to suggest that actually, if you pray that, and I'm not talking about religious rope praying where you just feel obliged to say it, but if you pray it and absolutely mean it in your heart, it is probably one of the most dangerous prayers you will ever pray. It is not an easy prayer to pray. You see, we easily set up false kings in our lives. We easily set up false idols. We easily set up ourselves on the throne where Jesus should be. And actually... We don't pray your kingdom come. We set our own agenda. Your will be done. The next part of this prayer is not a cop-out. It's not basically saying what will be will be. We'll just leave it in God's hands and walk away. It's nothing to do with that. John Wesley, we quoted this at the church meeting on Thursday, says this. God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. 
don't think it's one of the most amazing things that God has ordained, that actually he longs to partner with us in seeing your kingdom come, your will be done. That he calls us to get on our knees and pray for those things that God actually wants to happen. So we're not bystanders just watching what God wants to happen and it will fold regardless. We're called to partner with him. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Do you like receiving advice? Anyone like receiving advice? Sometimes, depends. Anyone like giving advice? I think we all like giving advice, don't we? Um, I think I'm with, you know, the author, John Steinbeck. I think he wrote Of Mice and Men. He says this about advice. You know how advice is. You only want it if it agrees with what you wanted to do anyway. There have been times in my life when I've needed advice from people. And I tend to go to the people who I think they're going to tell me what I want to hear. (laughs) But sometimes you go to somebody and they say something quite different. And it pulls you up, doesn't it? You think, really? Not thought of it that way. When we pray, your will be done. We can do the same thing with God, I think. We can pray, your will be done, as long as it confirms to what I really like doing anyway, Lord. Your will be done, as long as it keeps me comfortable, relatively happy, and doing nice things. We might even then step a bit further out and say, well, I know that I'm called to to share Jesus somewhere, and, and I'm really desperate to do some kind of mission work. But Lord... It needs to be warm. I don't need to have injections before I go. And as long as there's no spiders there when I get there. Because I really don't like spiders. And we start to put caveats in that are our agenda, not our submission to God. We easily equate God's will with pleasant human experiences. So easy to do it. Where did God's will lead Jesus? Led to Calvary. And so we see these words in the garden. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. You know, God is faithful. God remained faithful to Jesus. God remains faithful to us. But we have to be prepared to ditch those kind of feelings of what our human comfort is all about. And what goodness actually entails. Goodness is doing the will of God. Goodness is being obedient to him. A number of years ago, um, Claire and I were going through one of those phases in ministry where things were just really tough. Um, those of you who, who work in, in any form of Christian ministry in the church or, or wherever will know that things at times get really tough. And we were just really going through it in all kinds of different ways. We won't go into details. And I remember very clearly praying this prayer. God, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't think I can do this anymore. Please, can I do something else instead? I don't know what I was expecting God to say. Now, I'm not one of these people who regularly hears God speak to me in an incredibly direct manner. I tend to find God nudges me through life, and he will speak through his word, and things will, things will happen that way. But I was really, I was, I was at a point of being quite broken, and I remember sort of being, you know, sort of posture on my knees in front of God. Prayed that prayer. As clear as anything, God spoke to me. And he said four words, stay where you are, stay where you are. That was not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear that God had, I don't know, wanted me to be a racing driver or or something, something dramatic. But he said, stay where you are. So I went away, tested it. We always test it when we feel we've heard God speak to us. Test it against scripture. 
Seek the counsel of people who won't just do that kind of give you the advice you want to hear. And actually, in that point, being obedient to God's will, ministering through the brokenness was actually what God wanted for both of us. It was actually the right thing and the right place to do. But actually, there is something really comforting in that phrase, your will be done. And you know, it's that word will, your will. God knows what he's doing. God has a will. God has a plan. God has a purpose. Sometimes it's not going to be comfortable for us to be in God's will, and he never says it's going to be comfortable. But today, if you are going through something that feels like absolute rubbish, don't think God isn't in there with you. Don't think that God can't work through those circumstances. God's will does not necessarily reside on a beach in Barbados. But it resides, whereas we've been hearing this morning, it's when you get a brick through your window because you're doing what God wants you to do. It's when you're feeling that you're on the edge of all you can cope with because actually God is calling you to walk in faith with him. You know, so much of God's will, though, is actually revealed to us, isn't it? It's revealed in the scriptures. There are times when actually to do his will is a simple act of obedience. And so as we start our new sort of rhythm of prayer life in church, one thing that we're doing is every day we're going to come and gather around God's word as well. Read it, understand it, learn from it, make sure we're bathing ourselves in the word. You know, if you want to know quite a lot of what God has for you in life, you study the scriptures. You see what God has already said, what we know God has said. You know, if I'm there and I'm praying, God, should, should, I, should I start gambling? I don't need to pray that. I can just read it out of God's word. If I'm praying, Lord, should I go out and get drunk? I don't need to pray that. I just see that God says, don't get drunk on wine. Get drunk with the Holy Spirit. Get filled with the Spirit. Do something quite different. If I'm there and I'm praying, Lord, should I be giving money away? I don't need to even pray that. I might need to pray where it goes. But God has told us to be generous and to come with open hands. If I want to know, do I need to love my neighbor as myself? I don't need to pray that either. I just get on and do it. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you've not yet been baptized, you don't need to pray whether God's guiding you to do it. You just need to read the scriptures and see what it says and see the call to be obedient because that is part of God's will for us. Obedience, doing what our Heavenly Father tells us. What we do need to pray for is that the Holy Spirit gives us the strength to do those things. It can be very easy to read what God's will is and then not be able to do it. But the Holy Spirit is there. We call on his name. Ask him for strength. Ask him to be an obedient people. However, there are those things in life where we do need to pray. It's not just about obedience. You know, if you're here today and you're like, I'm not sure what God wants me to do with my future. We pray. We seek God's will. We seek for God speaking to us in the here and now. We long for God to minister and to make um, reveal to us part of the will that at the moment is secret to us. But it's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? It's dangerous to pray your will be done. Because it might mean something very different than what we're doing at the moment. Are you prepared to pray that prayer? To be made uncomfortable, possibly. To be brought into all that God has for us. God has good things, yes. But it might not be what we think are good things. It might be that God's blessing comes in very different ways. 
Chris asked um, a question last week, and um, as we go through this series, we're just going to be posing various questions about prayer. And this was the question, why is it hard to pray? Who finds it difficult to pray? I'm putting my hand up. I find it difficult to pray a lot of the time. A lot of the time. I think a lot of the time we find it difficult to pray because we approach it from the wrong angle. We approach it from me and all my needs that I then bring to God. Rather than saying, actually, we start with worship. We pray for God's will. And only then do we come into a place of bringing what we feel we need before him. Very different way of praying, isn't it? It inverts the whole process. And it stops us from being the hero. You know, the hero remains God. And then we work outwards from there. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom. God's will. And Jesus prays at the end of this line. The prayer that says, what is already going on in the heavenly realms? What is already going on where God reigns and rules, where there is no rebellion against him? Jesus' prayer is that that will now take place on earth as well. That the two things will marry up, that there'll be a sinking between the two. Now we know from Revelation that there will come a day when there is a new heaven and a new earth, and that will be gloriously and magnificently and eternally true. But this prayer of Jesus can easily be misinterpreted here. So there'll be some people who say, actually, what we need to be praying is that we want all of heaven and we want it right now here on earth. And you almost end up with too much of kingdom now. There's nothing to look forward to. Jesus doesn't allow us to go to that point. And then there'll be other ways of looking at it and says, actually, let's push all this expectation of the coming kingdom into eternity. And let's sort of think that actually we're not to expect healing. We're not to expect um, people to be changed in in a miraculous way. And it pushes it all too far that way. Jesus would have us stand right in the middle and say the kingdom is both here and not yet. It's both coming and it has already come. See, the kingdom is not tameable, is it? It's not something that's nice and controllable. It's not something that is to do with our agenda. It's to do with God's rule and reign breaking out in our hearts, in our lives, in our communities, in our schools, in our colleges, in our workplaces, where people submit their lives to him and God's reign and rule starts. Like a mustard seed, but then growing and growing until there will come that great day when Jesus returns and we will reign with him forever and ever. Now, And not yet. Here, but not totally fulfilled. I think the question for all of us, and it was really the question that struck with me from this week. Do we come to prayer with our agenda? Or do we come in surrender? Are we prepared to pray this most revolutionary and dangerous of prayers? Not dangerous because God is faithless, but dangerous because it means that we say yes to everything God has for us. Let's just spend a moment in quiet. I'll spend a moment just, I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what that means in terms of your own life. That's between you and God. And then I'll lead us in a, a prayer and then we'll respond in some worship. So let's just have a moment of quiet.
our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I want to pray for each of us today, that you'll give us the courage to pray this most dangerous of prayers. You'll give us the faith to trust in you. You'll give us the hope of the eternal kingdom. And you'll give us the desire to see your kingdom breaking out in power, in places, in our world, in our communities, and in our own hearts. We ask it for Jesus' sake and for his eternal glory. Amen.